0: Nights and weekends, work on your business, but stay fully employed for as long as you can because that time will come when you have to make a decision and it will be very clear when that time is. But until you're faced with having to, you know, make a left or a right and really determine the path forward, save as much as you can, reinvest into the business so that you end up owning a larger portion of your company, but you also can make decisions from a centered place versus
1: desperation. Hi Offscripters, it's your host, Sewa Ajay Pele, and welcome to episode 144 of the She's Offscript podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for their business success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. In today's episode, we meet Janice Omodeki, who's the CEO of The Mentor Method. After finding that her male counterparts were getting more concrete mentorship on the golf course than she was receiving at her in-office coffee chats, she set out to solve the gaps in the mentorship process. The mentor method's patent-pending algorithm removes the bias in the mentorship process and leverages potential compatibility to find ideal matches. During our conversation, Janice shares how she side hustled for four years before going full-time, how she navigated pivoting her business raising capital and so much more before we hear the rest of janice's episode i would love it if you could subscribe rate and review our show on itunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts this will help to spread the word about our show so amazing stories like janice's can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off script journeys with that let's go off script with the ceo of the mentor method janice Omadeki. Janice Omadeki, welcome to She's Off Script. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So for anyone who hasn't heard of you, could you share who you are and what you do?
0: I'm Janice Omodecki. I'm CEO and founder of The Mentor Method. We are an enterprise SaaS platform that helps companies build inclusive mentorship programs in under an hour. We developed a patent-pending algorithm that removes the bias in the mentorship process, and we have a customizable framework focused on retention, development, and relationship nurturing, so that companies can bolster their employee retention initiatives, as well as advancing underrepresented professionals within those companies in a systemic way.
1: That makes me wonder, what was it about your experience with mentorship in corporate America that drove you to build this platform?
0: Not having the right mentors and trying to leverage internal mentorship programs to help me advance in my career, but oftentimes being matched based on surface level parameters like age, race, gender, and never where I wanted to go in my career or my personality or the types of people I would get on well with to learn from and sort of build that mentor relationship. And so after being matched and after going through lackluster programs, really realized that chemistry is a big component to a lasting mentor relationship and not being seen as a checkbox is also something that should just happen, but sometimes that's not always the case. And so that was really the nexus and the catalyst for developing the mentor method when I was a manager at PwC.
1: Now you run a company that this is your bread and butter. I wonder when you approach companies with your proprietary algorithm in this platform, what has been their response to it?
0: Where has this been? And where was this early in my career? Which is exactly what I think of sometimes too. Like this was built for the Janice's, if you will, the high performing, overachieving, highly ambitious professional that did not come from a background where they can leverage a professional network because not everybody has that, right? I, as a first-generation American whose parents immigrated from the Congo, a lot of our family was overseas and not in a space where introductions to the next job or a great internship or promotion could have been leveraged. So really finding ways to ensure that those that are often overlooked or underrepresented in their places of work are given equal opportunity to meet the right mentors and advance in their careers.
1: I can totally relate to that where your family moves here and you don't necessarily have the network, right? You don't necessarily have that built-in knowledge of how to navigate the workplace or how to navigate the corporate politics. So having a platform like this that allows you to tap into mentors is invaluable, I can imagine.
0: It's so important, not just having a mentor, but having the right mentor. Who can really see understand where you want to go, be able sharing their own stories, and then help you become the best version of yourself—not a mini them, but an actual, you know, pathway to building your career and having somebody to share those landmines that they navigated, so that you don't have to navigate those at the same amount of time that it took them to learn. That's really what mentorship is about, and it's also a give and take. Mentors get a lot out of mentoring people. I have learned so much through mentoring other individuals. And oftentimes people think it's one-sided, like mentor just teaches the mentee. But when you're in the right mentor-mentee relationship, both people leave those engagements feeling like they learned something and feeling like they're really contributing.
1: Absolutely. And speaking of getting something back from a mentor-mentee relationship, does your platform also cater to reverse mentorship as well? Yes. It sounds like you really have taken a holistic approach, but I would say it is one thing to have a great idea and then it's entirely something else to implement it. So what was your process for building up the mentor method?
0: I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I didn't have the name for it yet, but I couldn't stop thinking about this concept. And I looked at what was already out there, and it wasn't doing what I was envisioning. And after I developed this and started using it with my own teams, just really wanted to see how far we could scale it. So the first thing I did, and keep in mind, I was already certified in entrepreneurship from MIT and was participating in graduate strategic management courses from Harvard at the time. So I really leveraged that past performance and learning to look at the total addressable market start thinking about you know how we would monetize this and immediately got into the sba.gov site to understand how best to start a business. So do I need to form it as an LLC or something else? I got involved in the DC's Women's Entrepreneurship Business Network, which was a great resource because they would have workshops and seminars and they would connect you to a mentor to help you start building out your business and all of those business essentials. And the most important part was customer discovery, really confirming that this is something that people would want to pay for and that it was solving a real problem for those that I wanted to serve. So leveraging tools like SurveyMonkey Audience, My Network, and getting blind survey results back to really formulate our first pathway to building the MVP that would then become the mentor method now and really ensuring that we were solving a problem for all of our customers. So you said our, was it just you in the beginning
1: or who were you working with?
0: It was just me, but I did leverage a site called Upwork to work with freelancers for little things like helping with marketing collateral or lead generation and other pieces. At what
1: point did you bring other people on to help you?
0: I started bringing in other team members once I understood the real solution that I was building. And so that was maybe 6-7 months into the process. Because There are a lot of details that you don't need a co-founder in order to confirm and develop. And I knew with the business being an HR tech and focused on employee retention with a lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion, this was long before people were paying attention to it. So if I had to wait for co-founders and full-time team members, it would have taken significantly longer. So I highly recommend people leverage support where they can get it through freelancers, bartering with other startups. I worked with a lot of startups in a similar maturity stage, Or maybe a few years ahead that had services that were complementary to what I needed for the business, and then continue to move on from there. So, for example, needing help with marketing collateral, I worked with a marketing company that was seeking to build their first 10 clients in that initial book of business. So, we got a discounted rate, and I was able to then help them in terms of graphic design because my background was as a designer.
1: That is a great way to go about it. But I wonder when it comes to actually building the bones and the structure of a technology company, would you recommend leveraging an early stage company or early stage tech for that?
0: Absolutely. There are a lot of solutions out there. I think people will have you think that you need to invest you know, $2 million straight away on your product or your solution, but your solution is going to change rapidly that first two-year period. So that money that you build and like the perfect solution to start, it's not going to be what it is six months from now. It's not going to be what it is 24 months from now. So that always changes.
1: I'm glad you mentioned that your product did change so drastically within that first two-year period. So could you walk us through the iterations that the mentor method has gone through?
0: Absolutely. So we started off as a consumer platform, matching women to mentors outside of their place of employment, and then pivoted to potentially like a recruiting play where people could match to potential employers. And then finally, where we are now, our pivot to enterprise, which we launched in 2017, which is what I described previously in terms of matching talent to mentors internally to help with retention, engagement, and the promotion and advancement of underrepresented professionals.
1: What drove your decision to move from, because those are drastically different models.
0: The research. My whole goal and my number one obsession is delivering value to our customers. And so for us, we realized that we could deliver significant value to underrepresented professionals, helping them get more opportunities for promotions, access to equitable mentorship, et cetera, through enterprise. But we've seen a lot of great solutions out there that have different use cases. It just depends on, you know, when you're evaluating the best model for you in a space that has others, I think it's good to evaluate what makes sense for your team your team's values, and not try to follow a trend of, you know, one company is doing well. So let's try to replicate that model that doesn't actually work because there's something within that team that helps them advance faster. So try to find your niche and what helps you stand out.
1: And earlier, you also mentioned that you had tested the mentor method model within your company. So for you, that was an advantage, but I am also curious on that earlier point. How was that received by PwC and have you since pitched this to them?
0: No, I have not. They're a fantastic company. I'm inspired by Tim Ryan and his leadership in terms of wanting to ensure that diversity pledges are translated into action. I think they're doing a fantastic job of that. Tim and his corporate social responsibility team and even the leaders that I've worked with in the vertical in which I was a part of.
1: To date, you guys have launched $1.4 million in seed funding, but that was only recent. I think prior to that, you were bootstrapping or you had had other sources of funding. So what drove your decision to go in for VC funding now versus when you first started?
0: We were very early in this market focus. Let me back up. A thing for me is efficiency. And really thinking about my time because, as an early stage founder, that is your biggest asset outside of funding, outside of everything else, it's time. And how do you optimize for growth and leveraging opportunities in front of you? So, that's always like the first thing I'm thinking about. Even now, with any decision I'm making, it's optimizing for efficiency and maximizing the return on that time spent. So, because the market, was so early and there were only a few incumbents in the space, I realized that I was spending a lot of time educating on what diversity and inclusion is, why underrepresented professionals have a hard time finding mentorship. Like I literally had slides, you know, after my team slides saying, what is diversity? We
1: are night and day as far as the environment that we live in today. So timing is everything.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's completely different, completely different. And so I had to take a step back from raising because it was turning into, you know, I was an adjunct professor essentially teaching about diversity and inclusion versus gaining that capital. And I knew that, you know, the time we had to spend educating meant that these weren't the right investors because they don't get it. Right. And we were early. And so my focus instead was on the components that make you. A more investable team. What I realized was that it's a matter of de risking as much as humanly possible. So, if an investor likes to look at the team and revenue and other pieces, that's what I focused on building a quality product, getting advisors that are experts and match the personas of the types of people we wanted to sell to, getting their advice, getting them on board as advisors, leveraging other startups and other companies to help us you know, bolster the MVP. This was several years ago now. And then just focused on that and revenue. I think sometimes companies have an idea, then they go straight into raising venture capital. We wanted to go the opposite route to confirm product market fit ensure that this was something people actually wanted and then have the proof points so that when we did go out and raise the seed round several years later, we were in a strong positioning to do so, which is what helped us raise that in six months, which is fast, all things considered as a black woman owned company. But I think oftentimes, yeah, people focus on the raise versus the business. And we wanted to go the opposite direction. Also, I have to call out my privilege of having worked at one of the largest companies in the world for almost four years. I did have some savings that I could leverage. That's a detail that I highly recommend every founder do. Nights and weekends, work on your business, but stay fully employed for as long as you can, because that time will come when you have to make a decision and it will be very clear when that time is. But until you're faced with having to make a left or a right and really determine the path forward, save as much as you can, reinvest into the business so that you end up owning a larger portion of your company, but you also can make decisions from a centered place versus desperation so that you're actually thinking strategically about the business knowing that, okay, I'm getting paid on the 1st and 15th of every month. So that can go towards... HubSpot and this and that freelancer. And I know that this will be taken care of and the returns should be X for the business. That's something that I'm very grateful that I had the opportunity to do. And I know not everyone has that. So I always like to call out just the privilege of having worked for a large management consulting company to help us bootstrap. And then 2018 moved to Austin for the Mass Challenge Accelerator, one of the top 20 accelerator programs in the country, and we ended up placing gold in that program, making the Mentor Method the third Black woman-owned business to place in that program across Austin, Boston, and Israel. So that gave us some funding. Arlen Hamilton was our first investor. We're part of her Portfolio 100, so we received funding that year too. was like a four-month span. It was. Backstage Capital, Mass Challenge, and then we ended up getting funding from Capital Factory. And then that was really it. So $150,000 in a combination of non-dilutive and dilutive funding. And then we just raised this one point now $1. $1.5 million seed round. So when you raised that initial one hundred fifty,
1: dollars I mean, that was quite an injection of money in a short period of time. What did you spend it on?
0: The product and team and making sure that we were solidifying ourselves in the market through bolstering our product market fit. I mean, if you have a solution that people don't want, then it's really just a very expensive hobby. And so I wanted to make sure that the mentor method, again, it it always goes back to solving a critical problem. If you're not solving a problem, then people don't want to buy it. Whether that's something consumer or CPG or a tangible phone case, whatever it is, it's solving a problem and you want to be the expert at solving that problem. So that's what I focused time on in addition to team building right after getting that funding.
1: So you mentioned that you did move to Austin in 2018. So after starting your business in the DC metro area, you moved. And at that point, I'm guessing it was you and maybe, as you said, some contractors. But in hindsight, what would you say it takes to successfully move a business as a CEO?
0: Moving and making sure that the people you bring on board are aligned with you from a values perspective. Those are the biggest pieces because startup land is very hard and one day it's great. Next day there are challenges and you solve those challenges. And it's just, it's amazing. I absolutely love it, but there's a lot of uncertainty. So for me, the uncertainty that came with moving to Austin, I was only supposed to be there for four months. So I knew that going in for Mass Challenge, I was like, okay, we have four months and if it doesn't work out, I can still go back to D.C. and it's not a problem. I hadn't sold my home yet, so it was perfectly fine. But I fell in love with the city because of that values alignment. It just felt so much more comfortable, the collaborative aspect of Austin. I really started making a footing in the community. And the community was diverse and inclusive and creative and just a lot of things that I hadn't seen in the D.C. metro startup scene at that time. It's changed since then. But at that time, it was very focused on GovTech and FinTech, which weren't in alignment with where the mentor method fit, but we were a fit here in Austin. So that's how I made the decision. But as a founder, you have so much uncertainty that moving was just another one on the list. It wasn't anything major for me to think about when I knew it was right and I knew that it was in alignment with the business values and my own as a founder, it was a no-brainer.
1: Pivoting a little bit, given that you have built an algorithm around mentorship, maybe you can give us a few tips on the markings or the makings of a great mentor-mentee relationship. Because whether you are still working in the corporate space or you are building a business, mentorship is something that can be a game changer.
0: Absolutely. Enthusiasm is really important in building a mentor-mentee relationship because you want the other person to know that you value their time. And so being prepared, letting them know that you appreciate the time that they're spending, the stories they're sharing, the pieces of advice that they're giving you goes a long way. Chemistry is also really important. Similar to, you know, a friendship, romantic relationship, a business collaboration, opportunity, you want to get on well with that person because that'll increase the likelihood of you returning to engage with that person again for collaborations and otherwise. So you want to make sure that there's a fit there from like personality and values. I also say on the mentor side, a willingness to teach and a willingness to remember that it's not all about you. Sometimes mentors will get into a space where Every session is their TED talk, if you will. And the mentee can't get a word in edgewise. They're not really answering the questions that are being asked. And that's not what it's about. You know, yes, share your stories, but you want to be listening to your mentee and ensure that they're getting adequate time and enough oxygen in the room that you're in to make sure that you're answering their questions and letting them think about it too. You don't just want to prescribe a solution to them. You want to work with them and say, okay, well, what do you think? Watch them start to formulate their own thoughts and solutions around the problem that they brought. That's the most rewarding part, in my opinion. On the mentee side, a willingness to learn and the ability to be prepared because oftentimes mentors are so busy. And it's so simple to just send an agenda ahead of time or set up an email on a recurring cycle so you don't have to reach out to them to schedule the meeting each time, making sure that you check your tech, that you've done some of the legwork since your last session with your mentor. It helps move things along and it helps your mentor help you even further.
1: Mm. Why four months as far as a time span for the relationship?
0: months, what we've seen is that on average, that's a good starting point for a mentor relationship that requires structuring. I mean, I've had mentors for years at this point, but to come up to someone and say, I want you to be my mentor for the rest of my life or the rest of my career, that's a big ask and slightly daunting, right? So having a set start and end date to begin with lets the mentor know psychologically and also just upfront that there is an out should it not be a fit and they know what the time requirements are and mentees and mentors can then build out you know a program for what they'd like to accomplish in that time frame and they're working towards something together which is a really good way for them to determine if it's a fit after that and so after that time frame you can decide you know to continue working together maybe you touch base once a month or once every other month. But that would be my recommendation.
1: Who are the mentors that you, Janice, as CEO of a mentorship platform has for herself?
0: I have fantastic mentors. I was telling someone that when I'm asked that question, it feels like I'm winning an Oscar. I'd like to thank. (laughs) And you have to thank everyone. And you're like, oh my God, am I going to forget someone? So I try not to use names just in case.
1: Categories are helpful though. So people can figure out what kinds of mentors they need.
0: Yes. So the types of mentors I have are around the key areas of the business and my own personal well-being. I think sometimes people put the business before themselves. I actually believe in the opposite, meaning I focus a lot on my mental health and well-being and pouring into myself as a person so that I can then translate that into the business. If I'm worn out, resentful of the business, tired, all of these other you know energy zappers, as I call them, the business is going to suffer. Because I won't want to take the meetings. You know, there will be other pieces that won't go as well. And so I usually do the opposite. So I have mentors that, you know, are big supporters of that process. I have mentors that are phenomenal at sales, phenomenal at business development, some that are great at finance and looking at financial projections or team formation. I'm very grateful for the women CEO mentors that I have, being able to ask them very specific questions because oftentimes if you Google pieces, especially early on in the development of the mentor method, what you find on Google search results for pitch decks and building a business and other pieces are really written through the lens of a straight white man with access to capital almost immediately. So, read, educate yourself. Absolutely. There are pieces that will always be transferable and will just be the norm and the standard, regardless of your background and demographic makeup. But having women CEO mentors has helped me understand some of the hurdles that they've faced and pieces that I need to understand. So, for example, when I was building my first pitch deck ever, if you Google, you know, what to include in a pitch deck and the pitch deck structure, they always advise to have your team slide as the second to last slide. In talking to a few women, they said, absolutely not because you're a woman founder and they will discredit you. So establish your credibility from the very beginning so that as you're discussing the mentor method, they know that you know what you're talking about. And they can see that even if it's you as a solo founder, you have advisors and you have resources that are helping you get there. That'll clear up all of the questions that they were thinking and they'll focus on what you're saying. I mm-hmm. did not see that anywhere in Google. You don't see that in you know the pitch competition videos that I was watching religiously at that point to learn how to pitch. You don't get that. Right. So I'm very fortunate to have mentors that support that. On the flip side of that, though, I also have mentors that if you saw us walking down the street, you would be very confused about how we met. Right. Mentors that externally look completely different, different socioeconomic standing, different careers, different pathways. But I've learned so much from them. And there's that innate values alignment and a connection to the bigger why of the mission of the mentor method that we're able to solve so many you know challenges or barriers within the business at a faster rate because of that. So I took the approach of not ruling anyone out unless they weren't in a values alignment with me from the beginning, because if we're not in alignment from the beginning, we're just not going to work. And I don't need to spend the time trying to force it to work, but was definitely open-minded in terms of the types of mentors and didn't put pressure on those relationships to evolve. It just sort of happened organically through either an accelerator program or through a warm introduction or another pathway to gaining access to these individuals. And then when it came time to really formalize it as a mentor relationship, we would have that conversation then. Mm. I love that. For anyone who's
1: listened to you and really wants to be able to cheer you on throughout your journey, or in fact, get onto your platform, where can we find you and how can we support?
0: Yes, if you're working for a company that you believe would benefit from leveraging The Mentor Method's inclusive mentorship solution, just send me an email, janice at thementormethod.com. Great. Thank you
1: so much for sharing your story and your lessons learned. It's really going to help someone out there. Thank you. Hi, Offscripters. I'm so glad you made it to the end of this episode. If you found this show helpful, please pay it forward by sharing us with your network and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram. Our handle is at She's Offscript, or you can catch up on past episodes at She'sOffscript.com. All right. With that, we'll see you right back here next Thursday for another episode. Bye.